like to welcome each of you that are out with us this morning. We'd like to welcome our visitors, those that have um, been away for a while and have uh, been able to return through um, healings and so on. And um, also those that are joining us on Zoom, we'd like to welcome you with us. A friend of mine tells a story of when he was about six or seven years old and he wanted to go exploring in his neighborhood on one Sunday afternoon. He walked to the school playground, which was about four blocks from his house. While playing on the school playground, he noticed woods behind the school, decided to go a little exploring and, and discover what was beyond in those woods and beyond. Well, he says that he must have been gone quite a long time during the day because his mom must have became frantic. She asked all the neighbors and some of his friends to go looking for him. When it began to get late in the day, he started walking home and was confronted by some of the people who had been out looking for him all afternoon. When he saw his mom and his mom saw him, he was a few blocks away, she ran to him. He says, it was great. She ran to me. She hugged me. She kissed me on the forehead and then whipped my behind all the way home. <laughs> that story ended on a good note. But sadly, every year, about two million children are lost to their parents. Some run away. Some are kidnapped. Some are kidnapped and put into sex trafficking. I can't imagine the panic, the despair, and the grief that a parent experiences when they have lost their child. We seems like we see it daily on the news where there are individuals being looked out for that are lost. Even when we're driving to visit our granddaughter in Virginia on trucks, on buses they go by, you'll see the missing child in a picture and, and uh, I can't even imagine. Can you imagine what it would be like? What would you do if one of your children got lost? Not just for a few minutes in the mall, not just for an hour or a day, but forever. What would you do? Please turn with me in Luke chapter 15. Our text this morning is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 25 to 32. We know that Luke 15 starts out with the scribes and Pharisees being upset with Jesus because he was eating with and socializing with tax collectors and sinners. From what I understand, tax collectors were universally hated by their fellow Jews because they collected taxes for the hated Romans, those Roman invaders. And even worse, they extorted the money to line their own pockets most of the time. Sinners included a broad category. It was of thieves and prostitutes and generally non-religious folks. The religious folks didn't have anything to do with the non-religious folks. So when Jesus spent time with these individuals, the so-called religious folks, the scribes and Pharisees began to grumble. Knowing the hardness of their hearts, Jesus launched into three 
of what we should know as probably the better known parables that he taught. From what I understand, a parable comes from two Greek words. Para, meaning alongside, and balo, meaning to throw or to throw down. So a parable is a story that is thrown down alongside a truth to illustrate it. The first parable that we read in this text is the first parable was a, about a shepherd who lost one of his sheep. He risked the 99 to go after the one. That's not our focus this morning. The second parable was about a woman who lost a coin. She turned her house upside down searching for that one. That's also not our focus this morning. The third parable comes with a more personal dimension. It is about a father whose son had chosen a path that separated himself from his father. And a father whose heart ached because of the separation, and he celebrated when that son finally did come home. That is a parable I'm sure we're all very familiar with. I hope that I'd like to take a little different look at it. The title of our sermon this morning is called An Attitude of Gratitude. And in this third parable, there are three separate stories that I'd like to look at. Story one is about the prodigal who went into the far country, who squandered all of his money in wild living, and then finally went back home. The second story in this parable is about a father who watched and waited anxiously, as we would picture, for his son to return. And when he did, he welcomed him with love and even threw a party for him. He may have spanked his behind, you know, the further the, the, the rest of the way home, but he was very happy to see him. And story three is about the older brother who usually goes almost unnoticed when we read this parable. He is the perfect example of stubbornness and its results. He will be our focus this morning in our sermon. So if you listen or read with me, Luke 15, beginning in verse 25, I'm just looking at verses 25, 26, and 27. And it says, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. I know that um, various, uh, we have various versions. Uh, most people reading on the King James, other people have the American Standard Version or whatever. I kind of, I'm paraphrasing. I'm kind of doing a blend and you know the gist of the story as we do this. Now, how does this older brother respond to this news? You would think that he just heard some great news. His brother had been gone so long and is now back home safe and sound. And if he weren't already very familiar with the story, you would expect this older brother to rejoice. We'd expect him to say, hey, I'm going to the party. I can't wait to see him. 
I'm so glad that he's home. But if you're here this morning and you feel like you're lost, you feel like you're separated from your father, if you feel like you've been squandering your life and foolish living, there's a message here for you straight from your heavenly father. It's time to come home. In Jesus' own words, what did Jesus say? Come unto me, all ye that labor, are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He longs for your return. You have nothing to offer him except yourself. Jesus is telling the parable because that's why he came. He came to pay the penalty for our rebellion, as we spoke of this morning in our Bible study class. So that if you'll come to your senses and seek the mercy of God, you can be redeemed. I'd like you to note a few things. Note that you can bring nothing to God that will make you acceptable to him, except yourself. It's only by your repentance, your baptism, your faithful living, that redemption can come to you. But wait a minute. Jesus isn't done with the parable. Somebody is not happy about this reunion and celebration. And you ask, who is it? Well, I think first and foremost, it is the fatted calf. He's not rejoicing. But second, and of course, it is the older brother that is not happy at all. Let's look at the ultimate purpose of why Jesus told this parable. You can see it with me in verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. We see an individual who planted his feet on the ground. He clenches his fist. He stubbornly refuses to go in. We continue in verses 29 through 32. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Some translations say he begged him to come in. But he answered his father, look, all these things I've been slaving for you. Slaving? I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat, a kid, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, I can picture him even saying it that way, right? You kill the fatted calf for him. Like, what did you do for me? My son, the father says, you will always, you were always with me. And everything I have, everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Remember the people that Jesus is telling this to. Remember the scribes and Pharisees that are questioning why he's even sitting with the lost. And Jesus is trying to say to the scribes and Pharisees, you're supposedly the religious. Wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to be trying to find these lost individuals and return them to the Father? Now can you see the older brother standing there while everybody else has gone to the party? We've seen people at work like that, right? 
Now, see if I go in. There's no way I'm going. Huh. Treat me like that, will ya? I'll show you I'm not going in. Yeah, who loses out? There's music and laughter and celebration. Everybody's having a great time, except the older brother who refuses to go to the party. And because of his stubbornness, he imprisons himself behind a wall of bitterness. You think about people that we come in contact with. Yes, a lot of people have a tough life. I will agree with that. But it doesn't help us to get behind that wall of bitterness. We need, and the times of trouble the most, is the times that we need to turn to God the most. We may not fully understand it, but there's a song that we sing, we'll understand it all by and by. I know there's people who come up and ask me, well, why is this going? I can't give you reasons why. Why do innocent children look like they die or killed or suffer? I can't give you that reason. But we do know that we'll all understand it by and by. It had, if it hadn't been for the stubbornness, we might never have known what kind of person this older brother really was. So let's look at him and then look at ourselves in comparison. Pull back the curtain. I like to ask ourselves honestly, what kind of person am I? And I'm asking myself the same question. What kind of person am I? The first thing is stubbornness is revealed in this older brother. He was selfish. He was an ungrateful son. He looked at his father, and instead of being grateful for all the things that he had received, he complained about what he didn't have or what he didn't receive. What a terrible attitude. He was the older brother. In Jewish culture, from what I understand, that meant he would receive a double inheritance, and all of the family lands would be his. So the father wasn't lying when the father said, everything I have is yours. The son would inherit all of that. But right now, that wasn't enough for him, was it? The only thing he was focused on was, you gave him a fatted calf, and you never gave me that. Now, fatted calves were saved for special occasions. You kept that calf separate from the others and gave it to the best. You gave it the best feed you had. So here's this calf, and he's being saved for a special occasion. The special occasion came when the prodigal son came home. But the older brother is not thinking about all the good things that he has received in life, is he? You talk about, what have you done for me lately, is more or less the attitude. He is not counting his blessings. How important that song is, number 68, that we sing. Count your many blessings. See what God hath done. Instead, he is angry, ungrateful because of the one thing he hasn't received. I like the story about the fourth graders who were asked to write down the seven wonders of the world. So they started writing down what they thought were the seven wonders of the world. After a while, the teacher began collecting the papers and looking at their answers. They had answers like the Grand Canyon, the Taj Mahal in India, the pyramids in Egypt, wonders all over the world. 
but one little girl was still writing. The teacher asked, aren't you done yet? Oh, I just, all I asked you to do is write down the seven wonders of the world. What are you writing? The little girl paused for a moment and then quietly answered, well, I don't know if these are the right ones or not, but I have a whole lot more than seven. The teacher said, well, let me see your list, what you have written down. And then he started to read the list that the girl had written down. This is what she thought of as the wonders of the world, to be able to see, to hear, to think, to breathe, to touch, to run, to love, to laugh. And the list went on and on. You see, our problem is that we think of great things of life are material things. The greatest things are material. Things like the fatted calf. And in doing so, we overlook the blessings that our Father is giving us each and every day. What a list the older brother could have written if he would have written down the wonders that he personally had. But no, he's standing outside, selfish and ungrateful, refusing to heed his father's invitation. And many people are doing exactly the same thing today, aren't they? We know not only was the older brother selfish and ungrateful, but his stubbornness reveals that he also was a very unhappy and a very unfeeling man. I'd like to go back to verse 29. He says to his father, look. He doesn't say, excuse me. Lo. Like, hey, look. All these years I have been slaving for you. Kind of harsh. How many of us, when we grew up, I'm sure our parents had us do chores. Would you go up to your dad and say, hey, look. Hey, look, you got me slaving for you all these years. I don't think many of us would, especially our generation. I know what our generation and what our parents would have done. Maybe younger kids today could try to do that. But no, not when we grew up. No, a slave. Now that's a delivered slap in the face of the father, isn't it? I don't know what the son could have said that would have hurt more to the father's heart. His oldest son, his heir, for years that they have worked side by side. All his life has been poured into this boy. I'm sure his father was proud of him. He didn't go into the far country. He stayed home. I'm sure the father said, I am so proud of you, son, that you're here working with me. But it took only a few bitter words to destroy that feeling, maybe destroying it forever. He thinks of his father as a slave driver, and he sees himself as a slave. You'd ask the question, what went wrong? There may be times that instead of considering how good God is and how much he has given us, John 3.16, while we were yet sinners, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him, be baptized, shall gain eternal life. We think about all the blessings we have. I don't know about you, but there are times miraculously when just when I think I need something the most, it appears. Or a person, 
comes in. And, and I can't think of something right off the top of my head right now, but I, I have that happen all the time where even an individual, um, well, I'll say with my wife, I, I was mentioning to some people, my wife's going to have to have a total shoulder replacement. And so I'm, you know, the, her total rotator cuff, and she has arthritis so bad in her joint that it ripped through. She has no rotator cuff anymore on her right shoulder, and it's separated. The, the arthritis is pushing out, and it's separated. And she went to see the doctor, and as she went to start her physical therapy, a woman was sitting there, and she, she looked at my wife and says, hey, I think that you had, you know, it looks like you have such and such with your shoulder. I want you to know that I just recently had, and she mentioned the surgery that my wife's probably going to have, and I, I'm doing great right now after, you know, a, a few months of physical therapy and so on. And my wife was sitting there, and that's just an example of thinking, well, you know, like, why would that woman even start a conversation with us and start talking about exactly what my wife might have done and giving her a positive outlook instead of everybody else saying, oh, it's going to kill you. You know, and I know that's probably good. My wife knows it's the truth. She looked it up, and they say, those first couple of weeks, you're going to, oh, my, you're going <laughs> to. But anyhow, my point being, we know that there's, God has blessings all the time for us. We just need to, to look and to listen. And instead of rejoicing in his mercy and his grace and his salvation, instead of rejoicing at the fact that you can see and that you can hear and walk and think and you have friends and, and the people that we have and we have a congregation here and the freedoms that we have, instead of doing that, we often complain about the things that we don't have. You have a new car. I have an old car. You have all these things. And it seems like I have nothing. Well, is that the everything always works out for you? Things seem like they always work out for good for you. And nothing works out for me. Many people have that attitude. And it leads to all kinds of unhappiness in life. And the third thing that we look at is this, at this individual, his stubbornness is revealed, was that he was unloving, and he was unforgiving toward his brother. This son of yours, he said, he didn't even call him brother. Notice when he talks to his father, he says, this son of yours. Totally disowned. We joke him like that sometimes, like if my grandsons, um, you know, maybe did something, got in trouble. I would look at my wife and say, you know what your grandsons did? You know, it wasn't my, you know, your grand, you know, we sometimes do that. But this son meant it. Your son, not my brother. Jesus had an answer for that. How many times should we should forgive our brother? Yeah, 70 times 7. No, as a math teacher, I know that's 490 times. If I tried to tally 490 times, I might lose track after a while. You think about that. All right, you're on number 318. Don't get up to 490. That's not the point Jesus was making. He was making a point that that's just a ridiculous see, I why keep track. There is something interesting to consider here. Do you know why the prodigal son came home? Because he woke up and he realized that his father was probably the most generous man he ever knew. Do you notice that? I'd like to go back to verse 17. Prior to this, in verse 17, here is the prodigal son. He's sitting in the midst of the hog, and he says, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And I am starving to death? Rationalization comes in. 
Many of us think, look at all the pleasures of life. But then we look at what Jesus says. What shall it profit you if you've gained the entire world? But you lose your very own soul. Hmm. So here's the prodigal son sitting in the midst of that hog, realizing that his father's house is the best. It is interesting how our circumstances affect our attitude. On one hand, the older brother has always been there, eating at his father's table. He has always had enough food. He has always had good clothes to wear. He yet thinks of his father as stingy. But the prodigal away from the father in this far country, in the midst of the hogs, begins to remember how generous his father always was. As he sits there smelling the slop, he suddenly remembers, even my father's servants have more than enough food to eat. So he goes home because he realizes that his father is generous. Does he expect the reaction that he got from his father? No. He comes back as if he could just apply to be a hired hand to be with those feeding the pigs at his father's house. He realizes that he could come back at bottom level, as you would say. He comes back with a very humble, I am not deserving of any of this, but if you could take me back just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Songs that we sing. But we look at, someone once wrote, if Jesus had been the older brother, think of how different the story would have been. Let's look at Jesus for an old, as the older brother just briefly. Instead of the older brother staying home with the prodigal while the prodigal was out living a riotous life, we would see Jesus, if he was the older brother, I would see him going far and wide searching for his brother. He would have gone to the bars, the brothels. He would have gone to the hog lots until he found his brother and brought him home. Because of his love, he would not leave his brother in that far country. Folks, isn't it amazing that we can see how stubborn other people are and yet never realize that often the Bible is talking about us? I tell you that when I read that story when I'm young and even now, you can read the story about Adam and Eve and you think how foolish they were. But daily in my life, I have God's word. But how many times am I tempted by Satan? Just a calm, it's not a big conflict, just a calm, oh, God, God wouldn't care if you did that. And we start to reason in our life. Well, I know that the Bible says this, but I'm sure that God wouldn't mind. He would understand he understands my situation right now, and he understands why I'm doing this right now. And we start to reason. And is that any different than what Eve did? When she's told, hmm. And then she becomes curious. I wonder what would happen if I ate. Some people say, I did out of curiosity. Well, what would happen if I ate? What would happen if I just did this one thing? And we are no different than those that the Bible's talking about. We look at Romans 2 and 5. In Romans 2 and 5, it says, But because of your stubbornness and of your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. That is what Paul says. 
So did you hear that? He says, because you are stubborn and you don't repent. And because you don't repent, you're stirring up wrath against yourself. Then he says, because of that, God's wrath will be revealed on that day of judgment, all because of our stubbornness. Do you remember King Agrippa? The Apostle Paul was at a prison. He was a prisoner of Governor Festus. and was being questioned by King Agrippa. Paul spoke with such power and conviction about Jesus and why he had become a Christian himself. Acts 26, 28. Acts 26, 28 says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost persuaded. Hmm. You think about that in a moment when we sing our song of invitation. Almost, you persuaded me to be a Christian. And when King Agrippa says this, I'm picturing that King Agrippa says it as if he's the victorious one. Aha, you almost got me, but not quite. You almost persuaded me, but I didn't give in. Who was the winner, though? Nobody. Agrippa lost. As in that song when we sing, what's the last verse? Lost, lost, lost evermore. We don't know anything about more about Agrippa, but it doesn't sound like he ever became a Christian. Became lost. Almost. But no, he was king and he turned his back and walked away. I hope that is not our case this morning. I hope that you see yourself as having an attitude of gratitude for everything that was done for us. That is what we're studying in our Bible study in the book of Hebrews on Sunday morning, chapter 10, what Jesus has done for us. I hope you realize and respond to the invitation that Jesus offers and realize what God and his son Jesus have to offer. And because of that, I hope that you are willing to repent of your sins, confess that Jesus is the living Son of the Father, that you would be buried with him through baptism to walk in newness of life, to be thou found faithful unto death. And the Lord patiently waits for you. Will you not come if you have a need, as together we stand and sing the song of invitation? Thank mm-hmm. you.